0: Welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Our guest today is Brad Langdale, the 2019 recipient of the Canadian Association of Physicists Award for Excellence in Teaching High School Physics. Brad has spent the past 14 years making the study of physics more accessible to students as well as teachers in the province of Alberta. In his classroom, students are encouraged to get up out of their seats and to do physics by building, testing, and analyzing everything from tabletop trebuchets to water rockets to floating buckets. You can connect with Brad on Twitter at B underscore Langdale, that's L-A-N-G-D-A-L-E, or by visiting his website at www.ldindustries.ca. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at IntersectionEd, and we're even on Facebook. And we really appreciate it when you rate us and leave a review on iTunes. Now here's my conversation with Brad Langdale. Hello, Mr. Langdale. welcome to the intersection education podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Corey. Thanks for having me. Oh I'm oh no problems. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you for coming on um, let's let's start at a place um, or with a question that I that I've been struggling with and and even have a little bit of maybe even some personal history with. And I feel like we're in a time um, when students all too often just label themselves as not a math person and not a science person. And, and it kind of makes me sad. Um, I, I feel like they undermine their, their potential. What do you have to share with other teachers from your lived experience that might help them bring students to see themselves as capable in the maths and sciences for them to, to, to just embrace that and give it a best shot?
1: Yeah, I hear you. I, I hear that a lot as well. And when I meet someone, when I meet an adult or when I meet a parent um, and they ask, what do you do? I say, well, I'm a high school teacher. And then they say, what do you teach? And I say, well, I teach physics, and I usually get one of of a couple of responses. It's either going to be, wow, you must be really smart, and I'm I'm not. I just like physics, so I ended up doing that. Uh, Or I hear, uh, wow, I hated physics in school. Uh, It was my worst subject. Or I hear, I never took physics. It was just too hard. It wasn't for me. And that makes me feel sad, too. So I hear where you're coming from. And I also hear, because I do a little bit of math, um, the, the sentiment that I'm not a math person as well. And I think that's been in place for a while and in a lot of places. I don't think it's just around here. I don't think it's just in Alberta or Canada. And um, what I think people mean when they say that is that they're not a classical math math person uh, memorizing facts and solving problems in a very rote way, um, mad minutes and facts kind of what's been taught in the classrooms previous to the last maybe 15 or 20 years or something like that. And and so I guess if I had something to tell teachers or educators or students, I mean, this is what I tell my students is that everybody's a science person and everyone is a math person, whether they like it or not, or at least they were at one time, if they think back far enough into their, their past. Uh, you know, I've worked with young students like four or five and six. I've got little kids that age, too And I can tell you they're science kids at that age. Everyone is a science kid science is their favorite They love magnets. They love making paper airplanes and flying them They have curiosities about numbers and, and my kids are always asking me. What's the biggest number? What's the smallest number? They really want to know what the biggest number is and and these are people who are number people but Somewhere along the line, they just lose that. And I think as teachers, it's a big part of our job to try and tap into that love that kids had when they were young and, and try to bring it back again. Yeah.
0: And that actually leads me into my next question. And it's something that I think you do really well. And, and, and it's really the importance of doing, and, and you can't see it, but I'm doing my little hashtag fingers, but doing, or not hashtag, my quotation mark uh, fingers, uh, doing science. And, and get getting students actively moving while engaging in science, what do you think this does? Why do you think that this is important for students to, to kind of bridge that gap to what you were just talking about?
1: Well, I've got a saying that I use when I talk with teachers at conventions and conference presentations. Uh, I tell them that some of your best physics students are your worst physics students. And so what that means is that sometimes students who don't score really well in written exams, and maybe that's because they have a lack of motivation to prepare for the test, or they have difficulty recalling concepts, or they miss a lot of class time, or whatever the reason may be, uh, they'll have poor grades, and that might mean you look at them as some of your worst students, but they'll often really thrive in a lab situation and in a hands-on situation. So being able to do something uh, hands-on that they can interact with is a huge motivator for those those students and it gives them a chance to experience success when they might not be experiencing success, success with a piece of paper and a pencil and so I when I'm preparing lab activities and when I'm putting emphasis on that, I'm hoping that um, that success is going to translate over to successes in a more classical sort of form of assessment that students might see
0: and that's what I was going to ask you how do you how do you balance the uh, active engagement in doing science with someone who who might put more of an emphasis on that. I say classical, but, but but it could be as just simple as I'm in grade 12, I need to get a great mark on my diploma or on my final grades, because it's going to affect my university entrance. Um, what do you say to that person who who kind of is, is trepidatious, who says, Oh, I actually think that doing too much of this fun stuff is actually not going to help me with my marks when it comes to these rote tests?
1: Yeah, well, I think that's why we're so fortunate to live and work in Alberta, because we have an amazing science program of studies here, and we have an outstanding physics curriculum written by the government, and and I mean, well, it's written by teachers, right, who really know what they're doing. And when they put together this program in high school science, it has so much lab activity built into it. So you have to be doing that. And so uh, when I talk to other teachers from other schools, sometimes they say, how do you fit in all of these things, and still have time to get through all of the, you know, like you still need to go through terms, you still need to go through calculations and practice with things like that. And I say, well, you just have to find a way to balance it. And um, I think the change that I've made over my career is to let kids do more of that work on their own. And when they're in class to do the work that they can really only do in classes, have those interactions with one another and with the apparatus and with me. And, you know, sometimes the book work gets pushed to something that they're doing outside of class.
0: And that actually, I mean, you are just, you're setting it up so great for me here, Brad, because I wanted to talk to you about technology. And and I noticed that, I mean, you've experimented with a couple different things that I think are really interesting. Um, those, your videos, um, a little bit of a flipped classroom and, and things like that. Um, You've really—it seems like you've really engaged those those kids. What are some of the uses, the most successful uses of the technology? I've just listed some, but I don't know if you see them as successful. Um, what have you found really really powerful for a making sure that when the kids are in front of you, they're doing the things that they can only do with you, and then b getting that engagement really high with with the use of technology.
1: Well, it's, it's not very exciting, but when it comes down to it, calculators and computer graphing programs, right? Like it's not super awesome, but it's something that has changed the way that science education has um, has gone on, I think. Um, it's had a huge impact. Before my time, I mean, I can guess what it was like trying to teach physics back when students needed to use a slide ruler and they needed a book of log tables to look up every time they were doing a calculation or something like that. It, it was a, a huge roadblock. Um, that slowed students down and, and probably didn't give them a lot of time to do hands-on work and collaborative work and things like that. And now that we have tools that allow us to handle the mathematics with a lot more ease, um, it's, it's just given us so much more time to focus on the actual doing of science. And I mean, the math is a language. It's almost like if you, you know, had to go uh, look up a word in a dictionary every time you weren't exactly sure how to spell it, uh, versus now having a word processor that'll give you a little red line underneath it, it'll give you a hint. It's uh, so much faster. And so I, that, that's a huge one. It's not super exciting, um, but I mean, if we're talking something in the last deco- decade or so, it's got to be YouTube. Um, in my mind, YouTube is is the driver for science education right now on on the planet. Um, there's videos that discuss how to approach particular problems like the ones that I make and they're geared to very, a very specific audience of people who are taking, you know, introductory physics or something like that. And they're, they're frankly pretty boring, I think for anybody else because they aren't that audience. But then there's also videos that have a mass appeal, um, which are out there, which are just showing scientific concepts and showing explanations behind them and making people curious about what's going on in the world around them. Um, so, you know, like I, I like people like Destin Sandlin, who does um, a YouTube channel called Smarter Every Day, which is just lights out so good. Um, or Derek Muller, who's a, who's a Canadian and he's uh, doing the YouTube channel Veritasium and uh, also doing really, really interesting videos. Uh, or Diana Cowern, uh, the physics girl who is um, engaging, I mean, all audiences, but especially young women in physics, which I think is amazing and something that we need. And, you know, this is. This is this generation's Carl Sagan and Bill Nye. You know, I we grew up watching Bill Nye in school, Absolutely, right? And yeah. Saturday mornings or MythBusters. You know, when I started teaching, the kids would say, "Yeah, but on MythBusters, this, this, and this happened." And I go, "Yeah, let's talk about that." But today, it's what they're seeing on YouTube, and um, I think that is is just had a huge impact on okay. on what's happening educationally.
0: Now, are you curating videos? Like, um, I wonder, how do, how do you use those? Do you, do, you, do you say, hey, here, we're working on this concept, look at this video, and then, because I know you create some of your own as well, so it's kind of like a mixed bag of saying, uh, if you want to learn more, or here's a great introduction. How, how do you use those? A lot of the stuff
1: that I make, students will use um, when I'm not there. Right. Uh, so whether they're working on something on their own, or I'm away, or something like that. And then a lot of the videos which other people have made, I'm just given snippets, uh, just little tasters to get the kids hooked. So they'll go back and kind of trick them into learning on their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, yeah, I I keep lists, big playlists for different topics so that when I want to find something, I can find it quick and just kind of toss it up there for students to check out. Um, I guess the last piece of technology I would just touch on is the smartphone. And I it's amazing because I think we kind of take it for granted now, but um, there was a time when I had to give every student a stopwatch and, you know, we were lucky if we could find one digital camera in the school, if we wanted to do something where we were trying to photograph something or uh, if we were going to take a uh, slow motion video, that was just, it wasn't going to happen. We, we didn't have that tool available to us. Um, but today almost every one of my students is going to have a stopwatch and a calculator and a high quality slow motion camera and an accelerometer that they can record and share their data with anybody within a few seconds in their pocket and and that's really changed the way we do things because um, there's just fewer barriers to being able to go out there and Um, And start to measure things. And so when we go and do, uh, we do work at West Edmonton Mall, we go and ride the roller coasters and we do some work at the amusement parks. And uh, the only thing they really bring along are their phones, and they're able to get enough data off of the built in um, technology in the phones that they can go back to the classroom and then analyze what they were doing.
0: So, uh, so anti phone ban in school, then is that what you're saying? We should probably rethink (laughs) that. Uh, yeah, you know what? I think kids were distracted before they had phones too. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know,
1: it's, uh, yeah, no, uh, they're, they're working in the physics classroom anyways. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. I want to, I want to go a little bit wider in, in terms of talking about the importance of science and, what would you say is is the importance of for our future generations to have a really good understanding of physics and of science in these coming years? What do you see some of the barriers that we're facing as a society that might be helped by a better understanding um, generally of science? And why do you think that it is really important for students to engage with with you know physics and sciences and in general? Well, without a doubt, it's got to be
1: human-caused climate change and the effects that we're going to see as a result of that. Um, our students are going to be the ones who are left dealing with um, trying to make changes that are going to somehow slow the, uh, the changes we see to our planet. And if those changes occur, it's going to be because we have somehow uh, induced a greater level of scientific literacy in our population and that's going to happen through the education system and it's going to happen through science teachers um you know it's funny because we talk about nuclear energy in in physics and uh, we get into a lot of the details and we get into a lot of the um processes and we talk about the pros and cons versus other methods of electricity generation and without a doubt every semester i have a kid put up their hand and ask so why aren't we doing this in Alberta? Are we doing this in Alberta? And I, I tell them, no, <laughs> that, you know, if you go out east to Ontario and, and Quebec, there are uh, nuclear power plants. And if you go west into BC, there is hydro. But in in Alberta, it's it's 80% coal and natural gas for electricity generation. And, and they just stop and they think. <laughs> They're kind of shocked, right? Um, and then they ask why. So like, why isn't there nuclear in Alberta? Is it that we can't get the ore? Is it that we don't have the technology? And I say, well, no, there's just not the the political will. But anytime someone has tried to get a reactor going, there's been this huge public outcry saying, well, no, it's not safe. No, what about Chernobyl? What about Fukushima, right? Three Mile Island. And um, I think a lot of what I try to get my students to understand is that um, Mm -hmm. they need to know enough about science so they can be informed to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. So when that plebiscite comes out and they've got a vote as to whether there's going to be a nuclear reactor in their backyard or a coal-fired power plant they can maybe make a good informed decision about something that's maybe going to produce less greenhouse gases and so um and i mean that's not just something we're doing in in physics that's something i think that's again in alberta across the board in all the programs of study for the time being anyways uh yeah i was reading an article last week in the guardian uh, out of the uk and it talked about how Uh, The scientific consensus that uh, humans were causing climate change was now surpassing 99%. So, I mean, this is like pretty much complete certainty in the scientific community. And I still know that we have a lot of people close to where we live, uh, you know, here around Edmonton that are going to deny that and say, well, no science is just a theory. They're not right. You know, and if that's not a, a clear indication that we need to have a, higher level of scientific literacy uh, in our province and I don't know what is so that's something that motivates me when we're talking about those things in class to do a good job of it because I know it's something that's going to impact our future
0: yeah yeah that's uh, I find it really interesting and and it was a good reminder that you know information and where you sit politically are, are interrelated to a certain point, right? If you know better, you're going to make, or if you know uh, certain information, or if you're comfortable researching and and, and understand uh, an article or things that you're reading, you're going to be able to pick that up. And that, that does cause big decisions to be made one way or the other. So that's a really good point. Um, I'd like to move into education uh, a little bit more generally. And I'd like to know, is there something about learning or about education that you believe is true, but when you share it or when you, when you talk about it, you get some pushback or, you know, there's, there's a good percentage of people that disagree with you about what you say.
1: Well, I get like that physics is fun. That's something I say and <laughs> nobody believes, or
0: disagrees with me on, um,
1: or that it's cool or something you should actually do. I feel like I have to do a lot of sometimes talking my my grade 10 students into taking physics 20 and grade 11 and no, it's going to be worth it um, because it is, it is a challenging subject. It's not easy. And, and students ask, is it going to be really easy? And I say, well, no. And and they go, well, I don't want to do that. Um, but I, I, I try to like throw around, This quote that I heard from um, a fellow uh, named Red Allen, he's a physics prof down in the U.S. and he writes for Wired Magazine and uh, he does a lot of the science uh, consulting on on TV shows and things like that as well. So he's a really cool guy. Um, He says that confusion is the sweat of learning. And a lot of my students don't like getting confused. They don't like that idea. And yet those same students are totally okay with going to the gym and working out and they're okay with doing a sport and getting sweaty. And, um, you know, they understand that that's what you need to do to get better at that. And I think they also understand that if they're not sweating in their workout, they're not really doing anything for their, their body. They're not going to get any better at it. You know, and by the same token, I think students who, um, you know, aren't, video games, they're not interested in playing a really easy video game that they're going to finish in fifteen minutes. They want something that's going to be challenging. They don't want to watch a movie that has a really obvious plot, or, or read a book where they can just predict exactly what's going to happen. And it's like, what was the point of that? They want challenge in other areas of their life, but for whatever reason, they don't want challenge when they're in their classroom, right? And and um, and they get worried when physics doesn't come easy to them, uh, and so. You know, I've been teaching for 14 years, so I think I've kind of just come to the understanding that it's just not going to be easy for a lot of people, and that's totally okay. It's okay to do something that's difficult, and it's okay to do something that's challenging, and it's okay to be confused and have to work hard at something, because when you get through to the other side of that, um, whether that's experiencing the level of success you wanted to or not, uh, that perseverance is such an amazing quality you can build. And if you don't build it when you're young, you know, I tell kids like, look, you can build it now while your parents are still making breakfast for you and doing your laundry and you can borrow their car on Saturday night. Do you really want to build this level of perseverance? And then and once you're in university and like you're in another province or a different country or something like that. So I think it's important that students experience uh, difficulty and then learn how to work through it at an early age. Because I don't want to see them have to learn that when they're 21 or something like that.
0: No, I totally agree. When the stakes are high. Yeah. Because they get higher. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm really interested in learning environments, um, and, and and that's you know places or or the the conditions that really make great learning. And when you think back to the best learning experiences that you've had, what was it about them that made them powerful? Was it the people? Was it the places? Were were there activities that you think really helped make learning better?
1: I think you have to lead by example and you have to have someone to sort of model yourself after. Um, I, I really like going to a conference or a convention and listening to a really good speaker, someone who engages their audience and is, um, just easy to listen to and, and, and makes you want to just like learn more about whatever they're talking about, uh, and just go and like hang out with them and become their friend or something like that. Right. Um, And that inspires me to go and speak at conferences and that inspires me, inspires me to go and, and get up in front of my classroom and talk to them about something that I'm passionate about with passion. Mm -hmm. And, um, I I like being able to talk with like master teachers, people who've been doing it for a really long time and and been teaching for 30 years and and just listen to what they do in their classrooms and, and what have you done in different situations and, um, I think we need to build environments where you have strong pedagogical leaders in specific subject areas, you know, especially by the time we get into high school, um, you know, there are differences between what we're, we're teaching in a lot of ways. And so being able to watch someone who teaches what you teach um, who, and someone who's successful in doing that uh, and then being able to model them, I think is huge. And, and it's really unfortunate that a lot of our schools, we don't get opportunities to do that. And, um, the best PD I've had, you know, I've really enjoyed being able to go and work, um, writing diploma questions for the diploma physics, diploma exam and things like that, where you're around teachers who've been teaching forever and just, they have so many cool ideas and just being able to sit with them at lunch and just pick their brains. Um, but then also to be able to go and and observe other teachers in, in their classrooms too. It's just so valuable. And, um, I would like to see you know us do more of that in our classrooms and be a little bit easier for us to be able to learn from from one another and from those people who went before us too. Um, because uh, you know, as a, as a young beginning teacher, I started off in a small town. There was no other science teacher. It was just me basically, right? There was one lady who did bio, and I did the physics and the chemistry and the science ten. And uh, I wished I would have had other people who I could have asked questions to. Um, and so I'm lucky now to be in a bigger school where I have that.
0: Yeah. When you think about experiences that really helped you to learn important lessons, are there particular successes or failures that you reflect back on times when you said, okay, this was either really good or really bad. And I learned this important lesson from that experience.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I probably mess up a lot of things. Uh, one that that kind of sticks in my brain. I mean, I teach mostly physics. Every once in a while, though, I have to do a like a general science class, and so there'll be a unit of biology, and uh, that's not really my wheelhouse. I, I I didn't haven't done a lot of biology since high school, so it takes a little bit more work for me to prepare one of those lessons and hopefully get everything right. In the first few years, I taught about organism interactions, um, like parasitism or a symbiosis between two different organisms, right? Like a a buffalo and a cowbird or something like that. Um, I, I definitely replaced the word commensalism, which is what happens when two organisms interact and one of them benefits and the other one doesn't benefit or gets hurt. is just totally cool with it. Uh, with the word uh, communalism, which in my made kind of, made sense in my brain, right? Because they're kind of living in a commune and everything is kind of coexisting there. And that totally wasn't the word. It wasn't even close. But I told all the students it was and they wrote it down in their books and that was great. So... Um, Yeah, sorry to all of those kids for those two years. There's probably 60 kids walking out there who didn't know the right term. So, uh, but I mean, that's why you got to check in with people who know more than you do. And you know, if I could give advice to like a beginning teacher, uh, you you need to find someone, you know, a mentor or just someone you can bug a lot and say, "Hey, am I doing this right? Like, this is what you're doing too. This is how you say this word, because all of that matters. And it's pretty easy to think that you've got it all together and you're doing it right, but it is good to check in. Um, so yeah, just making sure you read the words, right. I guess that
0: would be something, uh, that I wasn't always very successful with. Uh-huh. Uh, the French teacher in me who is not a Francophone has many experiences like that <laughs> yeah. where you know, you're pretty sure you like in, in your head, you're just totally convinced that you're teaching the, and then it's not. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, let's get into a couple quick hitters. Do you have a favorite app website or another media that you really like right now? So, you know, when
1: you've got a little downtime with your kids, you got a rainy day coming up, uh, you got to check out video physics. So this is a, an app uh, for iPhone and Android. It's made by Vernier, which is an educational science supply company. And it's really, really cool. Uh, you take a video with your smartphone camera of an object that's moving, and then you put down little dots uh, as you step through the frames of the video that maps out the motion. And then the app in the background goes and generates kinematics graphs so it'll tell you how fast it's going and what its acceleration is and you can kind of go around your house with your kids and see what the fastest thing they can get going is or you can set up some hot wheel tracks and clock how fast their car is going and i mean this is how you kind of um, make people remember that they once loved science and they were science people because pretty quickly they'll start finding different kinds of balls and throwing them down the stairs to see which one goes faster and they're doing physics Whether they know it or not. So yeah, that would be one I would check out. Video physics. It's it's really good.
0: Um, Is there a book that you quote refer to have marked up or give away a lot?
1: Um, I I guess I've marked up the Bible a lot and I don't (laughs) give away a lot of Bibles. But uh, um, And outside of that, I was trying to think of another one. Uh, this morning. I love Stuart McLean. Uh, and so the Stuart McLean books, I think a lot of times when I need a, a go-to gift, it's pretty tough to go wrong with one of those. Uh, so yeah, I like to to give those away. And um, uh, I've got a whole bunch of golf digests down in the basement. So someday... You know, I saw this Twitter post yeah, the other know, day. I'm thinking maybe making one of those little free libraries, <laughs> just all golf digest. And if someone wants to check one out, they can. And, <laughs>
0: The uh, hottest technology from 2006 <laughs> in, yeah. uh, in golf. Yeah.
1: You find it used. It still works. I'm sure.
0: <laughs> What's one thing that you do every day or most days that you think keeps you well and healthy?
1: Uh, I bike to school every day, like in the winter too. Um, it's not a very far bike, so, I mean, I'm not that hardcore or anything like <laughs> let that. Me,
0: let me just get this. So, I've had guests before who are like, yeah, I bike to school every day. And they live in Melbourne. And yeah. I'm like, okay, well, like, what does that mean in the winter? They're like, well, it was pretty cold. You know, I was like plus 10. Okay, no, 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 folks. We are in uh, Alberta, in northern Alberta. And in the winter, it gets to minus 20 in the mornings uh, consistently like that's the regular so that you bike to school every day even in the winter is pretty impressive
1: yeah i've got a pair of studded tires for the bike which are awesome um you know i've always said that like biking is a 90 percent financial decision for me and like five percent environmental and maybe only three percent fitness and it's two percent spite because you just can't let snow and ice and cold weather stop you from doing what you want to do if you live in alberta it's just you just have to push through it so (laughs) i just bike and uh You know, It it does earn you some cool points with the kids when they see you rolling on your bike and you're bundled all up. So it's kind of fun.
0: You can show the nature that you can still control it. That's right. absolutely. overcome you.
1: (laughs) Or at least slip and slide over top of it. Yeah, yeah,
0: one of the (laughs) two. Is there an organization or a person who really inspires you? And that can be uh, recently, it could be long-term, just someone that you really, or, or an organization that you really think about and say, yeah, they're doing good stuff.
1: I saw a a YouTube video. I think it was like a mental floss, you know, 10 interesting things about Mr. Rogers' video, maybe a year ago. And um, then there was a a documentary that was released, I think like last November, um, called Won't You Be My Neighbor? about the life of Mr. Rogers. And I mean, it was just amazing. I didn't know anything about him aside from what I remembered being a kid and kind of watching his TV show. Um, And it really seems like he was the real deal. I mean, I was really really impressed. He believed in what he was doing, um, working in children's education. I mean, he was a teacher when you get right down to it. Um, But he was doing it at a time when people didn't think television was something that students should, or kids should be watching, especially young children. And he felt like it was something that could be positive. Uh, He ran his show the way he wanted to. Like they talk about how the worst thing you can have in television is dead air where nothing's happening. And he would constantly have times when just nothing would happen and they would look at a fish. It's like that was but he wanted to do that and he just did it, which I think is awesome. Um, he was a strong Christian. So uh, yeah, he was pretty inspiring for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a new uh, biopic. Yeah. Coming out of, Tom
1: Hanks. It's going to be great. I can't right. wait to yeah, see it.
0: That'll be great. So uh, what's next for you? What are some of the questions and problems that you're looking at tackling next in the coming school year? I,
1: I've really been looking at trying to make wine
0: glasses shatter with sound. I mean, I had this
1: idea last year and I saw a YouTube video of people doing it with their voices. I don't think I'm going to try to sing. <laughs> so I know you sing Corey and I, and I, you know, once in a while, is your singing that better. bad? That it, it, yeah. it probably is actually, but, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be something we're going to try this year in class. And I'm really excited. Uh, if I can get it to work, I think it's going to be great. The kids are going to love it. And if it doesn't, I guess I can chalk it up on that list of failures, which is, <laughs> you know, the, the line of physics is, kids, I swear it worked last night. It really did. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm hoping to get that working.
0: Now, uh, lastly, let's say people are interested in looking at some of your stuff and following uh, your adventures in physics. Um, what is the best way for people to connect with you?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter. So I'm at B underscore Langdale. Uh, I've got a website, ldindustries.ca and on YouTube it's youtube.com backslash B
0: Langdale. B Langdale. That's awesome. I want to thank you so much for being on today. I'm, uh, yeah, it makes me want to get out and do some, uh, some science experiments, uh, with my kids and, <laughs> and get that love going. So thank you so much. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, intersectioned, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.